You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law Corporation, and with me, from a distance, my co-host, just with the most, just Paul Doroshenko. You always seem vaguely sad about the fact that I'm the co-host. I seem sad about it? Yeah, you always say it like you're you're disappointed that it's me. I don't, you know, I don't think I'm a bad co-host. I'm disappointed about the distance, Paul. Oh, okay. Well, I... Um... And also, I said from a distance, and then in my head, I thought... From a distance. No, no, no. Stop. Stop right now. <laughs> Stop right now. I've got a great song going through my head, a driving law song by Junior Brown, Highway mm-hmm. Patrol. I'm doing a job on the Highway Patrol. Wait, wait. Why do I have to stop and you get to go? Because uh, I don't want you to supplant the good song I have in my head with that horrible, horrible song. So do oh, not do it. Nope, don't, don't. Let's get right into driving law. Remember, Kyla, driving law drives the law. All right, all right. Well, I mean, it's crazy this week that uh, last week we talked about the motor-assisted cycle decision, and we thought, finally, some clarity from a higher-level court. Was that last week or two weeks ago? It was released, on the, it was released on the 9th. So, it was yeah. last week we oh, talked okay. about it. All right, here we are. It's the 18th. So Here we yeah, are. I guess that makes and sense. since... That BC Supreme Court decision, a court of appeal decision was released on the issue of motor-assisted cycles, providing further clarification about what is and what isn't a motor-assisted cycle. Back to the definition. So back to the definition. Back yeah. we go to the beginning, to the end, to the never-ending cycle of driving law. And this one is actually kind of interesting because you've got a dissent. And the dissent mm-hmm. goes the other way on two of the issues, and then one of the issues they don't resolve at all, which to me is completely resolvable and was before the court. Yeah, Anywho, but why resolve it when you don't have to? Why well, provide that clarity? Yeah, why, why help the police officers investigate? Why help litigants know what to testify about? Why so, help companies uh, know what to make? Exactly. So do you want to outline the facts, or do you want me to give a little bit of a background here. I can do an outline of the facts. So uh, this case is GADBAN. Um, it's been already been requested by uh, by a listener. Um, 2020 BC, or sorry, uh, 2021 <laughs> BCCA 69. And this case uh, involved Mr. GADBAN, who had a something he called a scooter at trial, and this language is adopted for the purposes of the appeal. Um, it's a Motorino XMR, and it's a pretty heavy vehicle. It looks like a motorcycle, but it has pedals attached to it, which drive a chain that's connected to the rear wheel, so you can pedal it if you wanted to. But the primary power for it comes from this 500-watt direct-drive brushless motor, which means nothing to me motor that is not engaged with the chain um and uh and so the chain is only functional when the scooter is being pedaled and the motor and the pedals are independent of one another which ultimately ends up being quite quite important um and it weighs 
I think, uh, 244 pounds. There's some dispute about the weight, but I mean, with the fellow on it, and I think he had his son on it, uh, it was, you know, it was getting up there and it was something that you would not pedal. More than I could lift. (laughs) More than, more than I weigh. Uh, the the dispute is more than the weight of, of a standard, uh, it's it's significantly heavier than a, than your average bike. And, but the interesting thing was it has pedals, right? Yep. Uh, Yep. and then there was an issue that we can get to a little bit later on about the size of the wheels, which was important at the trial level, uh, but, um, was kind of disregarded later on when we get to the court of appeal, but, uh, it has pedals and the pedals do activate something, but it, the description and the facts are that you could not pedal, uh, at the same time that you're using the, the electrical power in it. Yeah. So you can have the motor and run it on the motor, or you can have it on the pedals and run it on the pedals if you've got really strong legs, but you cannot do both. Yeah. And you would imagine that the pedals on the one hand are either... I mean, the thing looks like a, like a motorcycle, like it looks like a motorcycle. And of course the court said, that's not the issue. It could look like all sorts of things. Uh, the issue is whether or not it, you know, is fits with the legislative scheme. Um, but the, uh, the regulations, uh, say the motors of a motor assisted cycle must turn off or disengage if the operator stops pedaling an accelerator controller is released or a brake is applied. And that was uh, taken to all be or, 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 at least that was the position that both the crown and the, um, the defense took, because mm-hmm. it would seem to me that that would, if that if they were all required, then that would have, the end. it would have dispensed with it easily. Um, but it was, you know, an, a, a attempt by the, um, legislature to, spell out basically how these devices were, how they function, right? Mm-hmm. And how they expect them to function. Um, so the question was whether the scooter conforms with section 3.1, uh, and it was spelled out as rather, rather than the intention of the legislation, but the trial judge, the judi- judicial justice in traffic court, really focused on the intent of the legislation. Yeah. I mean, interestingly... Um, the intent of the legislation kind of uh, ultimately ends up being the deciding factor in the in the appeal. What's interesting to me is is that the BC Court of Appeal judge who wrote this decision wrote another decision that I argued a long time ago, where where the two times in the in the words of the judgment he said that you know the intention of the legislature cannot be ignored. So well, a, a judicial justice who focused on intention. And a court of appeal justice who said, hey, I love intention. Well, yeah, but at some point he almost seems to be taking issue with the judicial justice because the judicial justice um, did look at the legislative intention um, the uh, quite clearly. And that was like the, the focus of it, but came to a slightly different a slightly different decision on it, um, looking at whether or not it could be driven. So uh, let me see, was this the uh, uh, judicial justice said? That is, its primary mode of pro- propulsion is an electric motor. The functions of the pedals, while not decorative, are limited in application. 
and came to the conclusion that that did not facilitate the intention of the legislature of the legislation of the uh, regulation rather and then um, but then we get to the end of this one yeah and it talks to paragraph 53 Mm-hmm. Yeah, it says the design must contemplate human power being a primary means of propulsion and must allow for a person to pedal at the same time as the motor. So almost the motor identical. Is providing assistance. Yeah. That's the, you know, that was his issue. He said the legislature chooses these words, motor assisted cycle, which means that the motor needs to provide assistance, not one or the other. It has to be that the, that the motor assists the cycling, not... Um, not that the human powering, human powered cycling is an alternative to running the motor. Yeah, but that really is was the same thing at the at the the judicial judicial justice ruled, as far as I can tell. Yeah, um. I mean, he he his reasoning with respect to the scooter being too heavy to be practical was upheld. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, but. but- I want to I want to read this hilarious passage, paragraph forty six. I don't know if you saw this. It's yeah. the weirdest. Yeah, I know. So I, I I know. I read it. And I, I didn't I didn't want to read it because I didn't want to look like I don't want the people to think that our courts are. Anyway, go they ahead. They wrote it. They published it. That's it says, true. As I said earlier in this judgment, I accept the proposition that legislation can define a term in such a way as to include within its ambit things that would not, in ordinary language, be included. Legislation can define cat to mean dog, but if that is the legislative intention, we have a right to expect that it will be done clearly and unequivocally. If a piece of legislation defines a cat as a small four-legged furry mammal that purrs, we would not expect that definition to include a dog fitted with a loudspeaker that plays a purring sound. The intention of the legislation requires common sense to be applied to the language used. Yeah, so lots of cat talk in the legal world uh, these days for some strange reason. And you're, I'm looking at that. Watching the Zoom probably right before and, this. I'm here live. I'm not a cat. And and but I'm looking at that and I'm thinking to myself, okay. And you and I, you particularly, have been set, told by this court, Miss Lee, don't parse our judgments the way that you would parse legislation. Uh, the whole idea here is that I mean, this is punitive legislation. Um, and to me, it should be clear in the legislation, and it shouldn't be a situation like this. And, but it's particularly problematic when, and I want to parse this decision, um, the majority decision keeps talking about what, the, what this um, motor-assisted cycle or motorcycle, depending on sort of your view of it, how it's designed, what it's designed for, which, you know, it can be designed all sorts of ways and modified. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can rather well, they simply say that the cycle must be designed in a certain way that human power is the primary force intended to be used to power the device. That's not what they say in the legislation. Um, and if you go back to the judgment we talked about last week, the Wojcicki judgment, yeah. if you go back to that judgment, the design was sort of the crux of the issue there. The 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 vehicle had been designed in such a way that it could be driven by the pedals, but it had been modified after the fact so that the pedals basically weren't being used. Yep. So yep. does does this decision implicitly overturn that other case? Yeah, on the design issue? Well, I, I mean, I think the point is that it provides a potential. Um, people will be looking, these people who really, really want to be using a, 
stretch the, the limit and be using a, a bike that really doesn't have pedals at the same time as pedaling are going to be looking at this and saying, well, it's designed that way. It says in the decision, it's designed that way. I can modify it because exactly. it talks about three times it mentions the word design. Yeah, I can put the loudspeaker on the dog. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it was, uh, there was a funny thing here in this decision. Is You know, when I'll tell you, when you're reading court decisions, and if lawyers know this and we don't really talk about it, there's some times that you're looking at it and you're saying, yeah, this is really clear. Like you can, you can, it, this makes sense and it's logical and I, I can see it. And, and then there's sometimes you're looking at it saying, oh, they're just working to a, to a decision at the end. Um, and, um, you start to wonder when, um, the, the clear face of the legislation, I mean, in my view is more supported by the dissent here. Um, mm-hmm. and then the majority, which is a majority of two, in paragraph 26 and 27, just gives two alternative ways that it could be worded that would work. <laughs> you know, and, and there's two. Either it could have either of the two meanings. First, it could mean, and both of those would permit permit them to get to the decision that they wanted. Um, in uh, well, the two examples that are provided, uh, making it a sort of all and not an or. Um, and then in the end, they just come to the conclusion, well, it's the legislative intent, obviously, it's motor assisted. And, you know, you you make a good point, I think, about, you know, them glossing over this issue of the wheel. Because if you read the dissent, the the whole issue of the wheels actually was a really big sticking point for Justice Saunders in his dissent. He says, you know, on, on the one hand, you've got this, this, this wheel issue, which was never really fully fleshed out at trial, the dissent finds that failing to fully flesh that out, failing to appreciate the arguments and, 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 and failing to allow an opportunity to introduce the evidence was procedurally unfair and says it an injustice, which technically, if there's an injustice, should have caused the majority to actually look at the issue and consider whether there needed to be a new trial to correct that or whether the curative provisor applied. But in addition to that, you also have this like issue about the wheel not being defined in the legislation as something that Justice Saunders seizes upon as being problematic in this question of, you know, the 350 millimeters and where do you measure those 350 millimeters? The inside of the wheel or the outside of the wheel? Is it the, you know, it's not defined in the legislation. If you go back to Justice Groverman's judgment, he says, well, if the if the legislation is going to use something, then you have to expect that it's going to be clearly defined. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm looking at that, too. And I'm wondering, like, where he comes up with, in, in paragraph 55, like, where this information is that he's got. I turn to the second issue on the appeal, the question of the wheel. The wheel diameter is shown in the owner's manual is 12 inches or about 305 millimeters. It is common ground common ground, I guess, I don't know, that the figure refers to the wheel rim diameter. On a motorcycle or automotive wheel, the, I don't know where how this is common ground, like who came up with this? Did, did both, did they have an expert witness testify about this? On a motorcycle or automotive wheel, the wheel rim is generally measured by the diameter of the bead seat. I don't know. Sure, where, yeah, based did, on what? Was that evidence before the court? The diameter of the lip of the wheel rim will be somewhat greater. I, I don't know. Did they look this up? Who, who had this? Bicycle wheel sizes are typically measured using the outer diameter of the tire 
rather than the wheel. I don't know. Who, where did this evidence come from? It is <laughs> not in dispute that the outer diameter of the tires on Mr. Gadban's scooter exceeded 350 millimeters. I don't know. I really wanted to know where that evidence came from on how you measure a wheel. Because you need to have some instruction on how to measure a wheel if you're going to limit wheels. And a wheel is a wheel, and a tire is a tire, and they are different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, are they though? Because the legislature could define <laughs> wheel to mean wheel including the tire. Well, they could, but they don't. So, um, but they skip over it for other reasons. They skip over it because uh, in the end, they do find that it's not a motor assisted cycle, right? Um, so they don't have to, they've already rejected it. So they don't have to say I'm rejecting it on this wheel issue as well. They don't consider it because they say that the the judicial justice didn't uh, go into it enough, which is, I mean, somewhat bizarre, but it, it seemed that the police officer just said, we're both in a, all in agreement that the wheel is a wheel or something. So that, uh, I, you know, I don't know what happened at the trial. Um, but ultimately, um, we get this dissent that talks about the difficulty of the issue of the wheel and that this is not, of course, the, the dissent comes to the conclusion that reading the strict view of the legislation this is a motor-assisted cycle, except the issue of the wheel, which is not resolved. It's so weird. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird. Like, it's the weirdest split in a, a dissent and a majority judgment because the majority makes a determination on one thing and says, we don't need to deal with the other thing because reasons. And then the Madam Justice Saunders says, we need to deal with this wheel thing because reasons. Yeah. It's so weird. <laughs> Yeah, I, and you, you so rarely <laughs> it's not defined. dissents from the court of appeal anymore. No, so. I know, I know. One wonders, like the debate in the back room after they walk out and hear it. Well, I mean, obviously, it's not a motor-assisted cycle. You can't pedal at the same time as you're driving it. Well, I don't know that you know. You read this thing, and it's a, all an or. It's not a and. And so I disagree. I don't. I think it is a motor-assisted cycle. I mean, the legislature can write their law better. And if that's the case, we got to we got to move to this next issue, which is the wheel, which really wasn't properly addressed at the trial level, and we've got to give them some indication of how to deal with that. Well, I don't agree with the that. I as far as I'm concerned, we don't have to deal with the wheel. I mean, that's what I'm thinking is taking place in the back room. But then, okay, th- th- there's the burden of proof issue, which we have talked about. We have uh-huh. talked about. We have talked about many times. Charter considerations. It's true penal it's consequences. Offense. It's an offense. Um, and, you know, how can the police assess these these vehicles that are on the, the road? They're either basically a motorcycle or a motor-assisted cycle. And how can they come to a determination? And how can a police officer reasonably know what they can do or what they need to look for? To me, I mean, I don't think it's that difficult to resolve. It's, a, it's not something where you have to pull it apart to look at it, right, to see whether or not there's pedals on it. And you only need a measuring tape to measure the wheel if you know it's like metal to metal across or tire to tire across. <laughs> like that's all you need for those two things. And the only thing that's left after that is the watts. And if you well, see the thing going 80 miles an hour, 80 kilometers an hour, then, you know, you can assume that it's an overwattage motor and, and let the person prove it to you that it wasn't. Okay. So here's why I disagree with you. Fundamentally, I don't like what I'm about to say, 
but this is the law. Um, you say it should be easy for the officer to collect this evidence. So the officer should have to prove. I'm not saying that it should be easy. I'm saying it, the, the things that they can see are not a charter right. violation. Right. Well, I would say that measuring it is a charter violation, but that constitutes a search. There's case law in British Columbia that's found that even looking in the windows of a vehicle that's just parked without any reason for doing so constitutes a search. I'd say section one analysis will allow it because it's so minimally intrusive. Anyway, go ahead. You you don't section one unless there's a legislation. (sighs) Are you going to write a law that says the officer has to has to conduct the conduct a search has to measure then you can do a, a charter challenge and a section one analysis but if it's just the officer's conduct it just goes to 24 2 okay yeah you might say admissible on 24 2 yeah okay maybe. that's what i meant but I here's the other reason the way, why. as i think about it yeah because the offenses that people are being charged for when they're driving motor assisted cycles that are maybe not motor assisted cycles the offenses that they're being charged for are offenses of operating a motor vehicle without a license, operating a motor vehicle without insurance. They're not being charged for... And driving while prohibited. And driving while prohibited. In all of those circumstances, the exception is you can operate a motor-assisted cycle. According to the Supreme Court of Canada, um, back in, like, 2012, um, in Goleski? No, that's wrong. No, maybe it is. Goleski, I think, is the name of the case. The burden of proof in law in proving an exception to a rule rests on the person asserting the exception. But there's got to be a prima facie case, first of all. And the prima facie case is going to be determined by the police officer making the observations. No, the prima facie case is determined by, is, is the essential elements of the offense. They were operating something that was a vehicle that had a motor on a roadway while they were prohibited or while they were uninsured or while they were unlicensed. And it was a vehicle. That's not an essential element? On the face of it, it looks like a vehicle. Yeah. You have to prove it's not a vehicle. Yeah, well... You haven't persuaded me. I still think the police officer has to have reasonable and probable grounds to conclude that it was a vehicle. And I think that they can they can establish that by examining it without doing anything substantial to it. Well, uh, who, agrees with, who agrees with who here? What does the Court of Appeals say? Well, they don't. That's the thing. They don't, <laughs> they don't resolve it at all. Uh, in the dissent, it says, Last, the Crown has asked us to opine on the incidents of the burden of proof for establishing the character of the motorino, that was the, the uh, what was really a, a found to be a motorcycle, I guess, be it a motor-assisted cycle or a motor vehicle. In my view, that question is outside the ambit of the rather narrow questions on which leave to appeal was granted. I would not address that issue on this appeal. Similar thing from the majority on it. We are not going to get into the um, who's burden who's zooming who uh here on it and uh you're sitting there thinking come on i mean do something for the for the poor police officers who are trying to figure out what how to enforce the law um the uh let me see here burden of proof the uh 
The majority said, I am reluctant to tackle the issue in this case when it does not affect the outcome. Well, I think it did uh, in the issue of the tire size. Because the tire size, the discussion at the trial level, <laughs> the discussion at the trial level was, you know, this tire size issue uh, and the fact that the police officer asserted it and there was no further discussion about who's, what, what, who's got to assert and prove it, prove that it, it was in compliance or not. So it was there before the court. Um, of course, the majority said we don't have to even deal with the trial size, so we're not, or the tire size, so we're not going to do that. Um, but again, the burden of proof was also, you know, the, the facts were before the court and the fact was not in dispute that it was either pedaling or motor, not both together, not motor assisting pedaling. And just because they were before the court, there was no need to figure out who was supposed to put it before the court. Uh, whether or not he had to establish the excuse, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not happy with that part. But well, what this judgment tells us is that there'll be many more cases. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's all I'm thinking is like, okay. I mean, as far as this particular uh, motorcycle is concerned, I think that it's probably uh, it's probably sunk. But they only have to yeah. design it slightly differently. If they can design it so you can pedal and, uh, then that would uh, meet the legislative intent. The interesting thing was that they refer to, but don't tell us about, um, other jurisdictions where it's clearer in the law, uh, where, where there's a clearer version, um, you know, whether or not, uh, and, and there's lots of discussion about, you know, does, does electric propulsion or power propulsion need to be primary? What happens if you want to take a break? Like, oh, uh, you know, <laughs> really, we don't, this, this does not require this level of assessment, which brings me back to the, uh, the, what I felt was a clearer decision on the dissent. Um, because it was just really, this is what the, this is what the legislation says. Uh, it, it may be not what the, they intended, but that's what you're stuck with. And, uh, if they want to fix it, they can fix it. So let's talk about an article that was published, um, last Friday in the Penticton Herald and switched gears entirely. Okay. This is a, a terrible case. So a guy is in a bus crash. Yeah. Um, and John Borba dies when a sedan crosses the center line on Highway 97 near Penticton, crashes into a bus with 14 students and one teacher. Um, the problem was wet roads and almost bald tires on Mr. Borba's car. Mr. Borba dies. Yeah. The most seriously injured person was a student, Evan Haberstock. He gets head injuries. He's airlifted to Kelowna General Hospital. This is in June 2011. Would you believe, Paul, but this poor kid who had severe injuries and is still suffering problems as a result of these injuries and having his mom basically like spend all her time caring for him as a result of his injuries has not had his day in court. What year was this? 2011. 10 years. He's oh my waiting. gosh. And, and the case was, it was originally scheduled to be heard. July 2020, 
and that got canceled for reasons that we all know. So then it was rescheduled for a 23-day trial. Like, I don't understand. 23 days for what? Like, dead dude driving bad car, insured by ICBC, crashes into bus, student injured. Like, what are you really arguing about? Yeah. 23 days of trial for this. Scheduled to start March 22nd. And ICBC applied to adjourn that trial, which is scheduled for almost 10 years from the date of the accident. Wow. And the reason? Because they fundamentally had decided to fundamentally recast their defense. And so... 10 years in. Well, 10 years in, yep. They decided to recast the defense and produced a new expert report that alleges negligence on the part of the uh, company that outfitted the school bus. And so they're basically trying to say it's the school bus's fault and the the school bus's insurer should be the ones to pay for this. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Ten years later, they changed their entire tactic and try and pin it on the bus company. Like, good luck getting any of the records related to that in any event. Um, And try and delay this poor kid who's now an adult trial. Oh, it's very disappointing when the things we see from ICBC. Um, Horrible. And you know what this is so frustrating about this? Is, you know, the government has been pointing fingers at ICBC defense lawyers saying, or ICBC plaintiff's lawyers saying, you are always getting expert reports and unnecessarily complicating things and it costs so much money to get all these dozens and dozens of expert reports. But here's ICBC going out and getting an 11th hour expert report to entirely try and change the case a decade on, never did their homework leading up to this point. Scheduled for a 23-day trial, wasting potentially that court time, also costing thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for just the preparation because the trial's supposed to get start in like a month. Like, yeah, how they'll, can they'll, you, they'll, they'll spin this as de- they'll spin this as defense lawyers and this or the, the plaintiffs' lawyers uh, um, making no, they can't. this. Yeah, they'll try. They'll say this is an example of why we need. We need our reforms to change things. This is why we'll, yeah, so we can speed things up. Well, I think just Justice Marchand has made it pretty clear that this is all ICBC and their ridiculous, ridiculousness. In the judgment, he says, as between a sophisticated party that had all of the information necessary to pursue its currently desired defenses much earlier and an injured party who will suffer real and substantial prejudice if the new allegations are, of negligence are allowed, the result is clear. The application to plead the new allegations of negligence must be dismissed. Well, that's good. So, but when does it get on now? What, you know, mm-hmm. get it on. Yeah, and there are people who are waiting, of course, to determine whether the total claims exceed Mr. Borba's insurance policy limits. Oh yeah, yeah. Then they can. He probably got what one, two, or three million third-party liability. Oh yeah, so it will go beyond that. Yeah, but it, uh, how do they calculate that? I don't know how they calculate that. You'd have to talk to Eric McGracken, probably, or Roy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. And of course, you know, the government's response to this is, well, we're going to be announcing the final details in the coming weeks of the new care benefits that will be available to anyone injured in a crash, including those with catastrophic and life-changing injuries. 
sure doesn't make you feel confident about it, does it? Yeah, it's just always so sad. I, I just always think that the roads should be divided better. I just think that there's more ways to make cars so we avoid these collisions. It's generally something I've been able to avoid over the course of my life, knock on wood. Would you Although like I've had my injuries. Would you like to know that's very interesting? I found out about ICBC today. What's that? ICBC is responsible not just for collecting the fines for the COVID tickets, you know, the 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 party tickets that people are getting in British Columbia. Yeah. ICBC collects every COVID fine. They're responsible for collecting the fines for contravening the Provincial Health Order Food and Liquor Serving <clears throat> Premises' order. They're responsible as well for collecting all the fines under the Federal Quarantine Act. Oh, fascinating. How does so that happen? You, I don't know. I do not know how that happens, but it's it's fascinating because you could like get on a plane from Cancun, say your name is Mr. Cruz, <laughs> and you're getting on a plane from Cancun to probably run back to Canada to hide out from the angry mob of frozen Texans who are going to murder you. Well, he's a Canadian. Hypothetical. I mean, he was born in, yeah, he was born in yeah, Calgary. That's yeah. why I say he's running back to Canada. And you land in Vancouver, and you're supposed to quarantine, but you don't. Instead, you get in your car and you drive to, I don't know, Whistler, um, and stay in a lovely hotel in Whistler. Ted Cruz, in this situation, gets fined for violating the Federal Quarantine Act. And even though he really has no connection... To British Columbia, because born in Calgary, he is, lives in Texas, he went to Cancun, ICBC somehow has the responsibility of trying to collect from him. Well, <laughs> uh, that uh, is one of the open secrets of ICBC that uh, <laughs> I, I don't generally talk about, and that is that uh, if you are a visitor to British Columbia and you get a speeding ticket or something like that, um, ICBC has no way to collect. Uh, yeah. You just leave and uh, they'll never be able to collect from you. Ted um, Cruz will never be able to get a BC driver's <clears throat> license sure. or buy insurance from ICBC. Sure, and if he gets pulled over once in BC, they might then assume that he's living here and issue an indefinite license suspension in British Columbia, uh -huh. um, I suppose. But uh, other than that, they would never be able to collect from him. I mean, he's it's a, he's a U.S. A senator, so he's got to be worth millions and millions of dollars due to somehow all of those U.S. senators are hugely wealthy, like, despite the fact that they earn a moderate salary. I can understand giving the collection power for the B.C. fines, like the B.C. Provincial Health Order and the gather, gatherings and events and the liquor serving orders. I want to know who you heard this yeah, from. BC. What reliable it's source? In a, it's published in a Georgia Strait article today. Oh, well, that doesn't mean it's reliable. It's a Georgia Strait. <laughs> True. Um, anyway, but giving that power to... ICBC for violations of BC's provincial health orders. You can safely assume that the majority of people who are working in BC or who are throwing parties in BC have some type of a connection to BC. But giving the power to enforce the federal quarantine restrictions and collect the federal money to ICBC makes no sense, especially because now they've shut down all the airports for incoming international travelers, except for Vancouver, Calgary, Montreal, and Toronto. So 
now, if you want to come anywhere west of Calgary, you're landing in Vancouver. Maybe you're maybe you're wanting to go somewhere else in Canada. In Saskatoon, it might be easier for you to land in Vancouver. You're getting all these people that are coming into the country who are potentially violating federal quarantine orders, who are now at the whim of ICBC like they don't have enough problems. Well, ICBC doesn't really have the time to be running around to try and collect. Uh, Someone who uh, lived in my house before me um, got a ticket and moved to to somewhere in the Middle East. And for 10 years, I got notices, you know, for that person, letters from ICBC that I just kept sending back, does not live here, don't know where he is, moved to, moved to, to Eritrea or something. I don't <laughs> so there's no way to collect. So yeah, if it's somebody who lives in Regina and is never planning on moving to BC and getting a BC driver's license, uh, and they come through and they violate the federal uh, legislation when they when they arrive uh, by not going into quarantine or not doing what they're supposed to do um, in BC and they get a ticket and it's given to ICBC, uh, will ICBC ever collect? And should the taxpayers of British Columbia spend the time um, or should that be spread out across the country? Anyway, interesting. That is fascinating. That is fascinating. Now, Paul, it is time for your favorite part of the week. The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. It's Ridiculous Driver of the Week, Kyla. Come on, let's get it on. Yeah, Ridiculous but I want to know what it is because half the time I send them to you and I don't, we haven't discussed it. I haven't, I don't know what it is. I'm, this I'm one curious. is a glorious surprise for you. Okay, tell me. I have a copy of an arrest affidavit report from Florida from February 17th where police were called to a man in a white Kia in a Walmart parking lot. So you know it's good. It's got Walmart. It's got Florida. It's got a white car. There was a complaint that the defendant had his erect penis out from his shorts and was stroking it in his car. Reading this from the arrest report. So the officer shows up. He makes contact with the defendant, asks him to step out of the vehicle, and he steps out, in the officer's words, with an obvious erection protruding in his shorts. The officer asked him what he was doing, and he says, I'm conducting business as a food shopper. (laughs) Anyway, there's some conversation. He's ultimately arrested for the indecent exposure and masturbating in a parking lot of a Walmart in his Kia. Um, and uh, the defendant says, uh, uh, is asked about this conducting business. And he says, his business is like Uber Eats, buying food and delivering it to customers. So then the officer wanted to know, why is he jerking off? And his explanation was that he was lonely and his ex-girlfriend is in Colorado. Well, that um, seems like an unlawful <laughs> arrest to me. I mean, first of all, is there anybody around? Like, if he's beyond the, like, viewing distance of anybody to see exactly what's going in. on. He was called in by someone. Yeah, some prude who sees him from across the parking lot. I mean, lighten up. I mean, I, I don't want him picking up my groceries. Um, right. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know. but come on. Like, I mean, the guy's. Is that before? 
before or after he went in the store? Like, what's the hand sanitizer situation here? Yeah, I, I, I didn't want to go further into that joke that I made. Um, I thought I'd leave it at that, but uh, I still, uh, I, I'm, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sympathetic for this poor individual who's sad and lonely. He's got a, he's got a white Kia. He's in the parking lot of a, uh, of a Walmart, and uh, apparently has a, 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 an urge. And it's not an urge that's hurting anybody. You know, who's he hurting? Not hurting anybody. Some prude calls him in. Next thing you know, he's got a police officer, you know, jackbooting him and giving him trouble. And he's got a he's got business to do. <laughs> anyway, Great. it's not really driving. He's he's using his vehicle as a as a vessel for a, a small party. He's an Uber grocery driver who's jerking off in a parking lot in a car. That's our ridiculous driver. Yeah. Okay. I make the rules. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Okay, I love this story more than you. That's yeah. fine. Well, I mean, I, I find it entertaining as well. Anytime there's Florida involved. Yeah. Masturbating I'm... in Florida in a car. You know, our is... very first, our very first podcast, we had a guy who was having sex with the tailpipe of his car. You might not remember that. I don't remember that. It's, I mean, it sounds familiar, but I think I've heard of those stories before. Well, that's good. That's good. I'm glad we started off, uh, started on a high note. Yeah. Well, I'm just classy continuing (laughs) what's the burden of proof on jerking off in a car, Paul? Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've, (laughs) I've been asked to opine on the burden of proof and I think I will Seeing that it's not at the forefront of my decision today, I will leave that for another day. Okay. Our listeners can chime in yes. and send us a message at uh, at, uh, at, uh, at IRP Lawyer for Kyla on Twitter or at Paul Doroshenko for me on Twitter. And, of course, you can find us at VancouverCriminalLaw.com. You can phone Kyla with your questions about the re- Ridiculous Driver of the Week and her feelings on it. If you want to know more, at 604-685-8889. Try and do make that phone call in the early afternoon. That's about the only time she's available to talk to you about such things. And tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law.